And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. On today's Fantasy Baseball in 15, we'll discuss the apparently good news for Fernando Tatis Jr. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. I have not had uh, three cold brews yet. It works great in a fantasy I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, April 7th. I'm Al Melchior, and with me here for this episode is Derek Van Riper and DVR. About 24 hours ago, we were just dealing with some pretty fresh news on Fernando Tatis Jr., and I think the mood is a little better now than maybe it was 24 hours ago when we were we were just dealing with some uncertainty and and the kind of grisly video that we had to, to go by. So um, the, the latest update that we have here is that the Padres have played, placed Tatis on the 10-day injured list with a dislocated left shoulder and a partial labrum tear. So, uh, better than probably most of us imagined, but, you know, also not the best news. Yeah, I mean, I I guess based on comments made by AJ Preller, there's minimal long-term risk for additional damage. If Tatis returns this season, they're still going to be careful about bringing him back. So, I don't think this is going to be a situation where he's back at the 10-day minimum. Definitely more of a wait-and-see as far as an actual timetable goes, but compared to the possibility of season-ending surgery and some of the worst possible scenario thoughts that were running through all of our minds when we saw him walk off the field on Monday night. This does seem like relatively good news. Obviously, we're going to have concerns about any possible limitations once he comes back. Is he going to have to take extra days off? Is the power going to be the same? Is he going to be comfortable stealing bases and sliding head first? Right. I mean, there's a lot of performance-based questions to start asking once he's able to get back on the field. But I think we're all just thankful that there's a very good chance that he'll be back in a matter of weeks as opposed to months. Yeah, definitely a better outlook than, again, we had about 24 hours ago. Tatis did go undergo an MRI, and so based on those results, uh, at least for the time being, is not going to have surgery. And like you said, could be back uh, sooner than we anticipated. In uh, some other injury news, Cody Bellinger was out of the Dodgers lineup against the A's on Tuesday night. He's got a sore calf, uh, calf slash ankle. So I'm not sure if that's just because of uncertainty or maybe if uh, both were affected, but uh, a contusion there that's caused him some soreness. Bellinger day to day for now. And we have just a quick note here on James Paxton. This is actually something that's just breaking now here as we're recording. He was removed from his start in the second inning, and uh, we don't know anything else at this point, uh, not the type or the severity of the injury. So obviously that is one we will be tracking in the very, very near future. Perhaps uh, something a a bit more serious for Trevor Rosenthal. Uh, He visited with a surgeon who specializes in thoracic outlet syndrome uh, surgery. So that's obviously a... um, 
not not a welcome development and uh, that coming to us from the athletics can rosenthal if uh, rosenthal did have to undergo surgery that could sideline him for three three to four months or possibly longer so uh is this just a, a point in time when, you know, you've got to go out and get Jake Diekman or do we just wait and see? I think it's going to be long enough, even if Trevor Rosenthal avoids surgery, where there will be plenty of save opportunities for somebody. I do think Diekman makes the most sense. Uh, but keep an eye on what the A's do in the next couple of days. If they actually have save chances, they've been getting blown out on a nightly basis and they drew a pretty tough start to the schedule, getting the Astros and Dodgers in back-to-back series. So it may be a few more days before we even get a few hints as to what the A's are going to do in those spots. But Diekman is the guy that I like the most if you're kind of panning for saves in Oakland. Yeah, and just bear in mind that he was the front runner before Rosenthal was acquired. So uh, just something to tuck away there. And DVR, we've got trades, not something I really expected to see or to talk about with less than a week uh, into the season. Uh, and a couple of sort of head scratchers, too. So Orlando Arcia going from the Brewers to Atlanta uh, in exchange for a couple of pitchers, Patrick Weigel and Chad Sabatka. Uh, both have seen a little bit of time in the majors, Sabatka in particular. Actually kind of intriguing a couple years back. And then Rubnet Odor going from the Rangers to the Yankees for a couple of minor league outfielders, Antonio Caballo and Josh Stowers. So um, uh, what are your thoughts here on any of the players involved? Surprised the Braves traded for Arcia. Uh, I thought a team that was more desperate at shortstop would be the team that made a move to get him. He can play other spots. He moved around the spring for the Brewers, so maybe more of a utility guy at this stage of his career. Of the two pitchers going to Milwaukee, I actually think Patrick Weigel is a little more interesting. The pitch grades over at Fangraphs are all pretty good. 55 fastball, 60 slider, 55 curveball. Why would the Braves trade a guy like that? He's got 35 grade command. So if the command comes together, we might have a three-pitch reliever, possibly a back-end starter, probably more likely a reliever, given that he's almost 27 years old at this point. Rugden Odor going to the Yankees, though. I mean, we're talking about a lefty bat who's hit 30 home runs in three different seasons. That was at the old ballpark in Arlington, which was more hitter-friendly than the new one has been in its limited time in existence. But any lefty with power going into Yankee Stadium becomes more intriguing because of the short porch. And I'm really curious to see if the Yankees given the success they've had with adjusting veteran players in the past, if they can find a way for Odor to make more contact, possibly bring up the average and OBP a little bit along the way. I think he's more of a super utility guy. Just looking at their depth chart, I don't really see any path to an everyday role for him in the short term. Uh, But if you look at him compared to a guy like Tyler Wade, who they were using as their primary backup at a few infield spots prior to this deal, Odor is certainly more interesting on paper, given his past. The prospects that went to Texas, I know Antonio Cabello was on the back end of some prospect lists uh, a couple of years ago after the Yankees signed him as an international free agent. Speed is probably his most interesting tool. Could end up being a useful player down the road. And Stowers, I think, is a little more polished. I believe he's a college bat. He was drafted in the second round in 2018. So he could actually be someone that sees time in Texas quite a bit sooner. Uh, but I think you're looking at pretty deep leagues if either of those guys are on your radar. Odor at least goes from being unrosterable in most mixed leagues to at least being a consideration in deeper mixed leagues once we know how he's going to fit into this roster and how often they might squeeze him into the lineup. Yeah, I mean, if there's a, a, an injury in the Yankees infield, 
I, I think he's somebody that probably would be very popular in Fab, but that's probably going to be the the only realistic path to consistent playing time. Like you said, probably a, a super utility role, but not really one where he necessarily has a lot of opportunities uh, to get on the field. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that one plays out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So let's take a look at a few of the players that made big splashes on the uh, Tuesday schedule. A couple of hitters with uh, two home run games. Well, actually, there's a third, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., but I I think we have a rough idea of his fantasy value. But uh, Nate Lowe, uh, on the very day, by the way, uh, DVR, that I published a piece on The Athletic about his uh, power potential based on Max exit velocity. So it looks like a case of cause and effect to me. Two homers <laughs> against the Blue Jays. And then Tyler Naquin, a big, big game uh, against the Pirates. Three for four with a couple of homers. Seven RBIs. I think he is the Major League's leader in RBIs right now. Uh, but Jesse Winker, who he's been filling in for, is back with the team, uh, according to C. Trent Rosecrans, and uh, was dealing with the stomach bug. So... Uh, I-, I like Naquin's power potential. I just don't see where the playing time comes going forward. Yeah, Naquin to me is more of an NL only sort of player. Nate Lowe was available on the waiver wire in a decent number of 12 team mixed leagues over the weekend. I think he was picked up in quite a few of them. And where he's still available, he will be picked up this weekend. When you have multiple home run games and are getting regular playing time, people tend to notice. I'm kind of wondering how good is he really going to be? I mean, some of the numbers we saw from him. In 2018, cruising through three different levels of the minor leagues were really encouraging. He got to double A and struck out less than 15% of the time, and he walked more than he struck out at that level. Showed power everywhere in that season, 27 combined home runs across the three levels. Uh, hit 20 home runs uh, at triple A between 18 and 19 in about 121 games. I mean, so the power's been there along the way in the minors. I think the question is, How much swing and miss is he going to have as he gets more regular opportunities to face big league pitching this season? Is he going to be the guy that has struck out almost a third of the time in big league plate appearances to this point? Or can he more closely resemble the player he was throughout his time in the minors? If he turns into that guy, then we're talking about a difference maker that needs to be rostered pretty much everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And some pitchers uh, with the... Some very, very encouraging starts. Sandy Alcantara against the Cardinals. Six innings, 10 strikeouts, just two walks. And uh, Drew Smiley, nice debut for Atlanta at uh, the Nationals. So for their uh, opener, the Nationals, six innings, eight strikeouts for him, just one walk, two earned runs, uh, uh, four runs total against Smiley. But Freddie Peralta, I think this is the one a lot of us had our eyes on against the Cubs. Five innings, eight strikeouts, four walks, just one hit, no runs allowed. That seems like kind of the ultimate Freddie Peralta stat line. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really encouraging. He ran into a little bit of trouble with his command early in the outing, worked through it, really kept the Cubs hitters off balance. At one point during the game, the Brewers TV crew said he was too uh, dependent on his non-fastball, on his secondary offerings, which 
if you told me two years ago they were going to say that about Freddie Peralta, I would have said they were having cocktails in the booth because <laughs> Fastball Freddie was a nickname for a reason, right? And the curveball, I mean, it was it was great. He was basically split almost evenly, mixed in a few change-ups in there. Uh, he was working up in the zone. He was getting swings and misses down and away, really doing everything he needs to do to be at least a good back-end starter. But if you've been a believer, as I have in Freddie Peralta, I think you're really encouraged on a Wednesday morning by what you're seeing in the underlying numbers from that start on Tuesday. All right, well, let's shift to uh, later on on Wednesday for some streaming possibilities. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a really slim day, uh, slim pickings for, uh, with the Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday slate because it's a lot of highly owned starting pitchers, uh, or it's, you know, you've got aces going against a fifth starter the way that that kind of lines up. So really the two best options that I could locate DVR were Justin Dunn going for the Mariners at home against the White Sox and Dallas Keuchel, and then David Peterson starting for the Mets in Philadelphia, but going up against Aaron Nola. So, Couple of, of uh, you know, tougher matchups than you'd like to see, but I, it's it's a matchup for Dunn that might work in his favor because the White Sox are not very selective, and Dunn's big problem, of course, is walks. And Peterson last season he was really good at missing bats in the zone, so he might be a sneaky play there. Yeah, both feel like leaps of faith to me, though, because the White Sox lineup, even dinged up, is pretty scary. Uh, so I think Dunn does have his work cut out for him in this spot. Certainly someone I'm watching very closely to begin the year. And Peterson, I just see more of an innings eater. I know the results last year were better than people expected. Even if the matchup wasn't against someone as good as Aaron Nola, I'd really try not to stream pitchers in Philadelphia. That ballpark scares me. I mean, it's really hitter-friendly. But you're right. It's it's slim pickings because so many of the pitchers going on this slate are either frontline guys or, or guys that have at least been stashed on rosters and clearly are a part of people's plans already. So not the best day for streaming if you have to go out there and, and scrape a start off the waiver wire. And it's okay. I think Michael Bollock said on a previous episode, it's okay not to stream on a given day. This might be that day. <laughs> yeah. uh, so let's wind up here with our weekly prospect spotlight. I figured we'd talk about a couple of pitchers who were teammates a year ago, Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino, two of the more highly ranked prospects that we really should expect to see at some point this year. The, the question really is what kind of impact would they have in redraft leagues for this season? Yeah, I keep thinking Gore is going to be a relatively early call-up. I mean, Adrian Morihone, I thought was pretty decent in his first appearance of the season, but I still have to imagine that they view Mackenzie Gore as a more important long-term piece. There's no reason why those two guys can't coexist on the roster together. You could run Morihone out there as a, a six-starter, as a follower. There's lots of ways you could use him and, and still get plenty of value. Whereas Gore, you want to have him out there because you think he's better than Morihone, but you also want to make sure you get his development right. And with no games in the minor leagues for a few more weeks, maybe that opportunity comes a little bit sooner than we'd expect. I know the spring performances were flashes of Gore becoming really good and small steps back along the way. For Patino, I actually thought there was a better chance that he was going to break camp with the Rays. I know he didn't pitch that much above high A prior to debuting with the Padres last year, so you can certainly justify giving him some time in the minors when the minor league season starts, but I would be surprised if Luis Patino doesn't have a significant role for the Rays by the 4th of July. I know that makes it really difficult to stash him in a lot of redraft leagues, so if you're forced to let him go, 
take some solace in the fact that you're probably not going to have to worry about trying to pick him back up at least until June, but probably longer. All right. Well, seems like really sound advice to me, DVR. So with that said, we do have to wrap up this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, we really do appreciate it when you take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here with you on Thursday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.